Good morning again, everyone. Uh, welcome here again to this first Sunday in Advent, where, as I told the kids, we're going to walk through our theme of how does a weary world rejoice. And each week we're going to look at one of these uh, pre-birth stories, uh, stories leading up to the birth of Jesus, focusing in the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to break down a different way in which the person in this Bible story dealt with the issue of weariness, the theme of weariness in their own life. Now, the plan is not that this will be four weeks of weariness. <laughs> I am not Ingmar Bergman or Werner Herzog, right? Today we will look at the ways in which our tiredness takes over our being. No. While I love Werner Herzog, no. We're not doing that. The point isn't to wallow in weariness. The point is to rejoice, but to rejoice in an honest and authentic way that doesn't try to whitewash over what we all are feeling in this season and probably in a lot of our lives, which is lots of weariness. So we're trying to not pretend that we're tired or that we have struggles, but rejoice in the midst of that. Rejoice in the midst of all those things because that's what happens in the Bible. And, um, and there is a difference, right, between trying to find joy in your life or find joy by escaping it. And I try not to build a worship that is about escaping or, or pretending. And uh, so we are going to use our fancy schmancy projectors. And each week we're going to put up the artwork for the theme. Like I say, you do have it in your handout. It's the same image. Uh, I hope that this series will find you renewed in your weariness. And uh, while we're at it, maybe learn a little bit about some of these stories of how other people have coped. So let's get to it. Zechariah and the Angel of God. The artwork is by Reverend Laura Wright Pittman. So you got to think back a minute. That's what we're going to do. We're going to think back a minute to Zechariah. Put yourself in his shoes. Imagine yourself for a little bit being in his position. You're the priest. You're one of many priests, but you're a priest. So you're well off, you have good money, you have a high social position. People look to you for guidance on their faith, guidance on how to be followers of God. They look to you for guidance on God's law. You are also the go-between, between them and God. So when they needed forgiveness or they needed guidance, they would turn to the priest. So you have this important role, this special position carved out in your society. And yet, you have no kids. Which in that culture was believed that you were either cursed by God or being punished by God for doing something wrong. And, it was a, and so you're a public figure teaching God's law, yet everyone knows you don't have kids. And they talk about it, and they talk about you, and you can kind of hear them mumbling in the crowd under their breaths as you walk by. He's a priest, but God doesn't give him and his wife any kids. Maybe he's not a very good priest. Maybe his wife's not a very good wife. What are they into? Are they up to something? Snicker, snicker, snicker. And I'm sure his wife got it even worse because the general belief at the time is if a couple couldn't conceive, it was the woman's fault. 
That was their understanding of biology. So I'm sure she got it even worse, you know, hanging out at the well or at the social functions in the village, having your faith questioned, your religiosity, your integrity. It's your job, if you're Zechariah, to get up there, put on your fancy robe, walk up to the temple, tell the people to be faithful, and remind the people that if they, are, if they stay pure and they don't worship idols and they follow God's ways and they obey the law, that God will bless them with fertility and success, just like it says in Deuteronomy. And yet, your own life doesn't show that. You're a walking contradiction. And if you're Zechariah, this is faith crisis stuff. You doubt yourself. Am I any good? Am I doing this the right way? Why am I not successful? Has God forsaken me? And maybe in a darker moment, you start wondering, is, am I leading people in something that isn't really real? But you have a job. And it's your job to lead people to that God you are struggling with. So day after day, you get up and you put on your fancy robe and you put a smile on your face and you look confident and strong and you lead the people to the Lord. While inside of you, part of you is dying. You're weary of the snickering. You're weary of the doubts. You're tired of the well-intentioned people giving you bad advice for how to conceive. Did you try this trick or that trick? You're tired of feeling fake and pretending to be strong when sometimes you really feel weak. But you're a public figure and there's nobody you can go to. You can't go to the high priest. You can't walk up to Caiaphas and say, Caiaphas, I'm really having a faith struggle here. I'm not, I'm not sure if I believe in all this or if God's with me. Because you know what happens when you go to the boss and admit that you have a problem? They question, they question whether you should be doing that job. So instead of getting help, you bottle it in. And you're weary. Infertility makes you question all sorts of things. And as it drags on, it makes you weary. It strains your marriage, your faith, your self-image. But then the story takes a turn. It says the priests were gathered together, and the crowds were all there, and they drew lots to decide which priest was going to go in and offer incense in the temple. Now, you'll notice in the Bible they do this a lot, drawing lots, because the belief was that God would guide the outcome of drawing lots and it would take away um, any politics that might come from voting. I don't know why they think voting would bring politics. <laughs> but that's what they did. I mean, they replaced Judas by drawing straws. So this was actually a common thing. And so the belief was, if you got, you know, if they cast the lots and you were chosen, God chose you. And so there they were at random drawing it, and guess what? Zechariah gets chosen. Picture the crowd going, him? 
the childless one? Wait, he was chosen by God? And you can imagine Zechariah going, wait, I got picked. Right? Well, God chose her. They can't debate that. Well, he says there's robe, goes in so many times before, and he lights the incense, and he stands there, and then suddenly an angel appears. And you're Zechariah, you're like, dang, now what? You don't know if you're in trouble or if you're going to get a blessing. Because you know that's what it's like. When HR calls, <laughs> when the boss sends his secretary in person to your office, you're either getting a promotion or it's your last day there. Right? We know how it works. It was the same way with the priests. When, God sh when an angel showed up, they were not always sweet and fuzzy filtered like Roma Downey. Angels in the Bible killed babies. You had to watch out. Then you're sitting there as a priest and you're already kind of, you've got these doubts and you're second guessing and you've got frustration and now the angel's standing right in front of you but the angel says, do not be afraid. God's heard your pleas. You're going to have the son you always wanted. It'll be great. He just can't have any booze. <laughs> but he'll have lots of power like Elijah did. And you're the priest, you're like, oh, cool. Ah. But then Zechariah does what he's been doing for years inside his head. He lets his doubt slip out. He says what he was really thinking. And he got exactly the result you would have thought. Well, because you doubted, you don't get to tell anyone. In fact, you can't say anything until this baby's born. Nine months of silence. You know what that does to a preacher? <laughs> That's brutal. So first you suffer in silence because you can't talk to people about the struggles you have. Then you have to suffer in silence because you're hopeful but you can't tell anyone. You bottle up the pain, then you bottle up the joy. And of course we all know that sometimes even the joyous solutions to our problems are not things we can tell people in public. Sometimes the private solution does not have a public response, especially if it involves things in the bedroom, at home, in your personal life. Unless you're one of those Gen Z podcasters who gets on and feels like the world really needs to know what you did last Saturday. Sometimes you just need to keep it silent. So what do you do when you have a private pain in the public eye? You want to keep your friends, so you, you, when they get, the topic comes up, you might want to politely try to change the conversation because they overhelp, you know that. But, so maybe you withdraw a little, but you don't want to withdraw too much because you need your friends around, but you're kind of weary of the advice. And you want to keep your faith, so you go to church, and I hope as a pastor that the congregation doesn't do the same thing but I can't control if somebody decides to spit out a cliched platitude that isn't really all that helpful. And your faith is in doubt, and you wonder if you'll be accepted while addressing that, and if people will embrace you and walk you through it, or if you'll be judged. 
because I think there really is a real powerful feeling out there in our world, even among those who don't go to church, that the church is the last place where you can truly be yourself and admit your faults. There you have to be put together and look like you have rock-solid faith. When in fact, God himself calls the struggling Zechariah right into the holiest place to talk to him in person. It was in his darkest hour. Literally, the Holy of Holies is dark. It has no windows. It's in that darkness God spoke. Being perfect has never been a precondition for encountering God, not in the Bible. And sometimes I will admit, sometimes I'll admit as a pastor that I sit down and I struggle to create worship services that are both joyous, because we want to celebrate, feel joy in the Lord, without it being fake happy or pretending. We have to celebrate, but acknowledge our weariness and, not, and have our joy be real and not a, a cover. Because imagine how not weary Elizabeth and Zechariah would have been if they could have just gone to people and admitted their pain and their struggles with infertility. Imagine they could have, if they could have just admitted how, gone into the temple and admitted how frustrating it was and people would have given them a big figurative hug. Don't we all know what it's like to have to appear strong and in control? to look happy and confident when inside you're not even sure you want to be there? Maybe the point of the Zechariah story isn't as much the miracle. That's usually what we focus on. If you pray hard enough, God will make infertility disappear. In the Bible, there's a handful of cases of that, not millions. And we get focused on the miracle, probably because we're modern people, right? And, and we focus on that because it gets preached, right? If you stay faithful long enough, miracles always happen. Well, sometimes. Maybe the point isn't that. Maybe the point is that God speaks to us in those quiet, dark moments when we are left alone, when it's just us and God and our doubts and our struggles and we're alone and nobody's watching. And we hope that God will say something to get me through God did that for Zechariah and Elizabeth. And in silence, they suffered. And in silence, they waited. And in God, they rejoiced. Amen.